Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from shop.net. What we'll keep from COVID, part five. I was amused to see a tweet uh, during the week um, just after school ended from a person working in early childhood. Um, it was a screenshot of an email she received from the Department of Children, I assume, um, basically apologising uh, for the out-of-hours contact that she had been receiving. Um, apparently, there were some automated emails uh, being sent to early childhood providers um, at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, times like that. And um, the apology email, um, interestingly enough, was sent at, I think, just after half five on a Friday. Uh, the irony wasn't lost on her. Uh, as principals, teachers or schools anyway, uh, we, during the lockdown, during COVID-19, we were not uh, exempt from receiving late evening missives from the Department of Education on a Friday, so much so that I actually changed uh, the time of this podcast from midweek to a Friday at 5.59 because that's when uh, the uh, circulars and uh, letters and memos uh, came out from the Department of Education. Um, I would say uh, if principals were to ask for one thing to be ditched um, after after COVID-19, uh, Friday evening emails will be quite close to the top of that list. But I'm going to go through, this is part five of our What We'll Keep From COVID uh, special episode, where I review um, what's been going on for the last uh, 10 months of the school year, the strangest school year of all, the hardest school year of all. And we'll look at some of the things you've been saying that you'd like to keep after COVID-19. Hello, hello, you are welcome to this fifth part of our special episode on what li- what we would like to keep after COVID-19 in our classrooms. Um, while I know the Delta variant is, I suppose, in the news and already people are saying it's going to put going back to school at risk and so on, the sceptic in me is just saying, my goodness, uh, this is just, again, the Department of Education flying kites and trying to get people to... I don't know. It's it's almost like it's the biggest threat you can give to the Irish people. We'll make we'll make you teach your own children at home. That's what we'll do if you don't all behave yourselves. We we won't all, you know. It's like it's like a I don't really understand. Um, that that this seems to be the biggest threat you can give to parents that they'd have to spend time with their own children. Um, I can totally understand that though. Of course, um, I much uh find it I find it much much easier as I've always said uh, to teach other people's children other than my own, and uh, that's fair enough. However. I think we will be going back to school in September. I don't think there's any risk of that happening, uh, to be honest with you. But I also think that given the uh, vaccination rollout, uh, that it's going to be, um, I don't think, I, I think I think everybody, or well, almost everybody uh, who's working in a school will be vaccinated. And this is going to make uh, life a lot easier because as we know, uh, children don't spread this virus at all. <laughs> and so on. Anyway, let's get on with your tweets about things that we'll keep after COVID and things that we will get rid of very quite happily. Well, the first thing on this week's list are two of the two words that I think 
everyone in education will be very happy to see the back of. Because before COVID-19, schools were very interesting places. And I'm not sure a lot of you would not be, a lot of you are teachers and would be used to these things. But those of you who aren't in the world of teaching, you may not have come across these words that we were very familiar with. They were called classrooms. And these were rooms where children and teachers, sometimes an SNA if needs be, would all sit in a room, okay, and this was called a classroom, okay, and in that classroom, the tables would be generally arranged into groups, groups, and a group is where you put some people together into a, into a shape of tables, probably a kind of a square or a rectangle, but when COVID-19 came along, all of a sudden, these things that we were, you know, where these classrooms and these groups got brand new names, namely bubbles for classrooms and pods for groups. Now, bubbles are exactly the same thing as classrooms and pods are exactly the same thing as groups. The only difference is that bubbles and pods are spherical, spherical kind of no edges, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're not quite fluffy, but they're bouncy maybe and, and and cute kind of sounding and I think that was really the only reason why that's what they were that's the names that the government decided to call their classrooms and groups and to be honest with you I think every teacher in the country will be very happy to going back to calling their classrooms classrooms and their groups groups because pods and bubbles and I, I, I was kind of thinking you know we, we, if we had your little pod, that's your group, and then that, they lived in a bubble. So your whole school should have been called like, I don't know, planets or something like that. I don't know. But it was a very odd, um, I don't know where it came from. And, and it, was, it was almost like, do you know, they were all messing around the government with these mad um, making up things like bespoke solutions and significant funding and all this kind of nonsense that they were, um, they were going on about. Um, but look... I think uh, I don't think it's something we'll be keeping after COVID. In fact, I think it'll be something we will be dumping into some spherical shaped bin. We'll throw it in with all the rest of the balls or something like that. I don't know what a weird what a weird thing that was. Um, hopefully, it won't stick. It would be an awful thing. Right. So that was an easy one to start off with. And thanks to the many of you who uh, said you'd be dumping those if you've uh, one of the first things to be dumping. Some schools, and I'll include myself in this, um, well, you know, when we looked at our risk assessment, one of the things at the time uh, back in the day was that there, there was a there was a thing that the virus was um, was was basically not airborne. Now we know now it's airborne, uh, despite the Department of Education not thinking it's airborne. But anyway, everybody else knows it's airborne. And um, the idea that this was before all that, it, people thought it was like you caught the virus from the droplets, the viral droplets on things. So that so that meant uh, you were trying to get rid of as many touch points as possible because the virus might land on a table or might land from your hand onto a doorknob. And there was lots of spraying and fogging and all that kind of stuff going on. And as a result of that, staff rooms, um, many staff rooms uh, had to say goodbye to 
certain things that they were very used to, namely fridges and microwaves and dishwashers and uh, sometimes burka boilers uh, or kettles or toasters, all that sort of stuff. Because the fear was that if you had all these shared touch points, you would be spread, if someone had the virus on their hand and they went to open the fridge, they would leave the virus on the fridge and so on and so forth. And I suppose as time has gone on, we realise the virus is actually airborne now, that this probably isn't as big a risk as we might have thought back in August. And I think most schools uh, will, be, um, will be looking, uh, if they haven't done already, to bring back the uh, staff room to where it was. Um, I think things like cutlery and stuff like that, maybe people will keep their own cutlery. A lot of people like that, people keeping their own cups and mugs, people kind of like that too. But uh, in general, I think most people will be quite happy uh, to see uh, to be able to heat their food um, keep their keep their food cold in a fridge and fresh and um, the contraband toasters and contraband microwaves around the school may uh, may maybe come out into the open again but um all in all i think um something that we'll definitely be happy to bring back rather than keep um bring back will be our our, our those the small luxuries of being able to use the microwave or the fridge so um yeah i don't think there's very much more to say about that uh, and uh, that was a fairly easy suggestion. I don't think that's uh, something um, people would worry too much about. Now, the next one here is, um, was it came kind of in a bit weird. By the way, just uh, for those of you who are only new uh, coming in, how, uh, I suppose towards the end of this, these podcasts, I'm, um, I'm not working off a script. What I'm doing in these podcasts is, uh, the, this particular podcast is, I asked um, teachers, parents, anyone else who was listening or, on, or watching me on Twitter or following me on Twitter to name some things they'd like to keep uh, once COVID disappears into history, um, if, if that ever happens, and things they would definitely like to see the back of. And uh, what I'm doing is I'm going through those tweets and uh, I suppose trying to um, pontificate, let's say for want of a better word, uh, on why these things happened, um, what I had to do, maybe get an insight to my own thought process about these, uh, about these kind of uh, new experiences for us, and uh, maybe what uh, my own thoughts are on what we'll do after. And um, we live in a in a when we I suppose we live with COVID or in this post COVID world that we hope we'll all be living in. So I mean the one um one thing that came in very kind of quietly and at, at random, and um, despite over a decade of campaigning. I mean, well over a decade for campaigning for this. Um, principals were given one day per week of administrative time. Um, and it was a very random kind of thing, really, in a way. And it, and it kind of caught everyone uh, by surprise because while they've been, while people, while the INTO and the IPPN and, and various other groups, um, even the NPF uh, did a bit in this, have all have been talking for well over a decade about giving principals at least one day per week administrative time um, to do their admin work, it was just has never been coming, you know? And all of a sudden with COVID, it just came in. And for me, I think that the most interesting thing about that was the reaction to it. It was really muted. And um, I, I kind of feel if now, and I don't think, um, and I suppose, how, how can I put this? You know, the INTO and probably the IPN will, will claim that they were central to this coming in. But I actually think they were caught off guard as well. 
And, you know, like the thing about the union is they'll just claim victory for anything that happens. I mean, they were actually, during the week, it was quite funny, I think, uh, claiming victory because uh, the vaccination schedule uh, opened up to 18 to 30-year-olds. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, I mean, they didn't quite claim credit, but they were certainly, you know, they looked a bit chuffed about it by for some reason, as if they had anything to do with it. Um, but... Anyway, they, they, they were claiming this uh, as a victory, but actually I just think it came in. And I think, I mean, they probably felt a little bit aggrieved then that people around the country weren't slapping on the back and saying, you're wonderful people, because I think everyone's just so jaded by this every year, um, the same drum being beaten by these guys and nothing actually happening. And then when they did act, when they actually did nothing, <laughs> the one day a week came in and all it took was a global pandemic for them to get what they were asking for for almost two decades. I, I don't know, it was kind of funny to me I, uh, in a way. But anyway, the, the one day a week um, gave the possibility of clusters to happen where um, five schools could get together. Each would take a day a week, um, their choose their day a week. And a substitute would uh, come into their, their school and do their teaching for the, that one day a week. So there was consistency and everything else. It was pretty handy. Now, in my opinion, and uh, naturally I, I, I have to go against the grain on these kind of things. This one day a week thing, I mean, I wasn't, um, I was one of those muted respondents uh, to, to it as well. I mean, it doesn't affect me because I'm an administrative principal. But one day a week is not enough for a, a teaching principal these days um, to get their work done. Um, I mean, if you compare any um, small school, um, certainly in, in, in the locality, let's say Northern Ireland and the, and the rest of the UK, uh, the smallest of schools will get at least double that in terms of admin um, and sometimes more. Uh, so there's a long way to go. Um, now, I think there's, a, there's, there's going to have to be work done on small schools, and I'll probably uh, mention that if we get to a part six on this. If not, I might mention it in, a, in the next podcast a little bit. But this anyway, I suppose, the one day a week uh, by the end of the year, I think uh, many teaching principals, and it was actually one of the most popular things uh, that was uh, tweeted back to me, was this would remain in place. And sure enough, it will be remaining in place. Now, the, the big question really be, will be is whether it will stay in place forever or whether it's just going to be an interim measure until COVID is finally over. So, I mean, for me, I don't think the battle is over in terms of this um, administrative time for teaching principals. Uh, I think there, I do think there needs to be creative thinking around and the idea of teaching principles, I actually don't think there should be such a thing as a teaching principal. But um, while we have them, I mean, one day a week is, is, is or as I said, all it took was a global pandemic for it to happen. Um, and hopefully it won't take uh, more than that to keep that. Uh, hopefully it will stay in place at least while we actually focus on what are we going to do about the role, the job of a principal and how we're going to make it absolutely manageable for someone who is in a small school. So really, I don't think I have much more to say about the one day a week for uh, teaching principals. I, I think it was a muted welcome, but it certainly was welcome. When I when I look at the tweets, the, it, was, it was the most impassioned uh, thing to keep after COVID-19. So I think that's what we'll do. Um, this is another kind of, it wasn't divisive or anything like that, but it was it's more people wanted it than not. And it's not something I really 
I guess, felt very strongly with, but it's about the idea of hand hygiene, and this should remain after COVID-19. I think a lot of people uh, believe that better hand hygiene uh, helped to stave away, um, you know, the mi- minor viruses like um, common cold, uh, some flu, some little splutters, runny noses, those kind of things. And the good hand hygiene helped basically stop that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, if you can imagine, um, I, I, I mean, if you can remember back, I mean, when's the last time you had a cold? Um, certainly during, during the best part of lockdown. And why was that? Was it because you were mainly not leaving your house? Or did, we, did people start having little colds when we went back to schools in September for the, for the three months there? Um, I don't know. Is, is the amount of hand hygiene we did, is that something we should be doing anyway? Um, I, I'd like to, I suppose, for me, I don't feel that strongly about it. Uh, I, think, I think it is probably a handy thing to keep going for a while longer anyway. Um, I suppose the disadvantage of the hand hygiene is how long it takes. If you want to get 30 uh, junior infants hands washed with one sink at the back of the classroom, which they can hardly reach, um, it's, it's not that easy to do um, in, in less, than, less than a couple of seconds <laughs> or less than a couple of minutes and potentially less than half an hour. But I suppose um, if you get a routine going, it's something that can possibly be done. I think, um, I think we, do, we all as a society have to be better with hand hygiene. I think we probably will see uh, hand sanitizer uh, remaining in place in uh, most places for quite some time. And maybe that's no harm at all. Um, and why not in schools? I mean, it, it seems to make sense. It certainly doesn't do any harm, let's say, uh, keeping the hand hygiene uh, practices going. So I think um, that's something that we might keep. Um, I've got four more things. So I think we might get through all these um, in um, in the half an hour. I don't know. Let's, let's give it a go. Um, the next one here that was uh, put up was classes were not allowed to mix. Um, very, very happy, but most people were, to scrap that whenever we can. I mean, I thought it was very sad, um, and I think I went on about this before, um, particularly on yard time, uh, that, you know, you know, older classes weren't able to mix with younger classes. Some, some of the loveliest things you see on yard is when an older class takes on a very small class, a young class, and they play yard games with them where they might play play different things with them and everything else. And it's really nice to give the, the older children the responsibility. And it's also really nice for the younger children to, you know, have these role models to, to look at. And, and you kind of miss that kind of thing. But there's also the, uh, I, the, the other stuff that goes on throughout the year, you know, in certain weeks. We do a, a science week or a STEAM week really more now these days where we have science buddies where two classes get together to do science experiments. We have a, during World Book Day, we, we get reading buddies where, the, where older classes read to younger uh, classes. In fact, we do those. Uh, we don't even do that in World Book Day. We do that throughout the year once a week uh, when the junior infants go up to the library, sixth class go to the library and they read them a book. Um, and these are the kind of things that weren't able to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, that it, was, it was quite sad. But even if you're in a very big school, um, you know, even uh, classes that were the same class, you know, like your two thirds, or if you're in a bigger school, again, if you have five sets of class, uh, a five stream school, none of those classes were able to mix uh, either. And, and friendships were, you know, that might have gone cross across uh, the divides of classrooms weren't able to happen and um you know it was it was very sad and it wasn't very nice and i think it is something that we really need to do something uh, uh we if we can to get rid of that as soon as possible um you know we're it's kind of weird the whole thing because um 
despite the evidence, you know, you know, you know I, I kind of think, okay, look, let's let's have a look. We know that children probably got the virus without having any symptoms, and we know they probably had it in school, and we know it there was probably spreading, and and we also know that the statistics varied uh, about cases as well that. Um, if you looked at the HSE data, it looked like there was very little spread in schools. But if you looked at in, in, in other places, it was much higher. And I think I think that people would be naive to think that COVID wasn't raging. Um, you know, well, not raging. Uh, COVID wasn't in classrooms. And, uh, and certainly there were no children in school without COVID and things like that. I think all that was probably happening. But I suppose what, what, what's also true is... Um, it, it, even though it probably was happening, it wasn't spreading as much as I think many of us expected. And um, in some ways, I guess, you know, given that that's the case, I don't think if we allowed classes to mix, you know, within reason, you know, potentially if you're in a, you know, you might have a couple of classes mixing on your chair. I mean, a lot of them were doing this anyway, and there was no, there was no problems. I, I think we might be in a situation even now even with the delta variant around maybe i don't know i mean i i, I could be wrong on that because i think the delta variant is is more um goes around children a little bit more that uh look it is something worth considering and i look whatever happens maybe it would definitely be something i'd be uh, i think i'd like to bin as quickly as possible for me the next one really um this is my my one really or not not that i i mean this if i was being asked and answered the question this is this would be my biggest one really um i think everybody had a point during this uh lockdown or during this um even when we were back in schools where we where we lost faith in the system where we lost faith in the government where we lost faith in our union our representative bodies and things like that and for me um and I've said this uh, a couple of times in the podcast before, that the, the point I can absolutely pinpoint the time where I had the last piece of faith I might have had in, uh, in the system was when principals were asked to be on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, uh, when the government uh, requested that, um, that school principals would hand over their personal mobile phone number that if there was a case in their school, they would be able to contact them anytime um, they wanted to, anytime at all. Meaning that all principals were on call um, 24 hours a day. And what was worse for me, I suppose for me, the thing, and I wouldn't mind, you see, what I look at is the government will only get away with and people will only get away with what they're allowed to get away with. And that's why we have representative bodies who are supposed to block this. What really killed me was the fact that it was suggested by our representative bodies, this measure, where they said, wouldn't it be a good idea for this contact tracing that every principal would give his or her phone number um, to uh, the contact tracing people so they can be contacted any time at all? Um, it was just, for me, it was an absolute low point. Um, I'm not saying it was the lowest point in the in, in uh in the union's um, tenure, I mean, the lowest point in the union's tenure for me was when they ignored 
the PSSA vote. Uh, that's when they lost the right to call them uh, call themselves a democracy. And there's been lots and lots of low points. I mean, gosh, I could you know look, I could do um I could do an entire I could do an entire series of if my own minister of education uh, around the last decade of of union uh, union going against their own members. Uh, Drihid being another example. Anyway, this is not about that. Um, for me, uh, anyway. The fact that uh, principals were expected to be on uh, on call twenty four seven for me is the next thing that I would happily dump, um, really, and more so I think um, apart from the uh, being on our call twenty four seven, just going back to the very to the introduction to this, the idea of getting messages at all times of the evening. I remember one message came at half ten in the evening. Uh, if people can remember back to the hand sanitizer debacle, that was something that we really needed to see the back of. And uh, really, to be honest with you, it's uh, something that really needs to, should have happened uh, um, a, a long time ago and should have, again, our representative bodies should have done something about. Anyway, I don't think I'd, I want to say much more about that because, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's a no-brainer to me that that shouldn't have happened and uh, absolutely needs to go away uh, forever. Anyway, we'll keep going on and... Um, the next and second last thing, the penultimate part of this uh, podcast, um, who would have thought the penultimate part of a podcast would be something around virtual staff meetings? How exciting. Well, uh, that's what we're going to cover uh, for the next couple of minutes. Um, I suppose uh, lockdown brought the idea of virtual staff meetings where uh, from the comfort of your own home, uh, you would be invited to staff meetings to keep you updated on things and uh, I suppose as COVID-19 went on and in fairness uh, most schools embraced the idea of using Zoom uh, for these staff meetings or various other things or teams or whatever it might be um, and uh, I suppose uh, when we went back to schools some schools uh, kept on the idea of virtual staff meetings because it was too dangerous for people to uh, come together in, in uh, halls and uh, or in classrooms or in staff rooms uh, and some people so they kept going virtually and some people just decided do you know what if we're let's not have staff meetings at all in a way and maybe use other tools and in a way what it did was it started to question the idea of staff meetings you know in some schools there's the idea um and i, I don't really know where it comes from uh, that uh, staff meetings are necessary we you know once a month and what they consist of really is the principal generally giving updates uh, face to face and it, i mean generally it could be um done in an email um you know and i kind of feel if your if your meetings could be uh, done by sending an email then they're not meetings meetings are generally where people need to you know maybe talk about things uh, discuss things uh, maybe have a task to focus on and stuff like that and I suppose during COVID that was going to be very difficult to do and a lot of um, staff meetings as such were just really updates which could pretty much be done by email or maybe you know even dare I say a recorded video and they really were only needed um, they weren't really needed at all but some schools I suppose kept uh, did virtual staff meetings as they did with their, their updates and so on um, and um, I guess, I suppose what people, most people felt, unsurprisingly, is it would be something that they would not keep after COVID. And I'm not surprised. But I mean, I wonder what one would think about, about let's say we get rid of virtual staff meetings. What about the idea of getting rid of staff meetings in general? Um, and when I say staff meetings in general, I mean, the, the number of staff meetings that might be had in some schools, just because 
they were they were there you know that you, that you were there was something to do for a Croke Park hour maybe that you had to fill in time is there an argument that we need to think about staff meetings a little bit more and um, think of them I suppose in a different way that they aren't just there to give updates if we want to give updates do that by email but if we actually want to get stuff done maybe that's the time where we need our staff meetings of the future so I mean it's just something to think about um, maybe and um, I suppose have have a bit of an idea um, a, a thought process really uh, you know for, for the future because as I said COVID-19 you know, has shone a light on lots of things uh, in our education system. Some major flaws, big, big problems, you know, as, as we know, as I've gone on about uh, in this podcast, but also in small things like the idea of staff meetings, like the idea of those soft openings and stuff like that, like the idea of staggered uh, times in schools, that, that kind of thing. They're the smaller things that don't really make a huge amount of difference, but are, they're things that, you know, COVID-19 has, uh, you know, raised questions about and maybe uh, well worth it. So let us think, what would you say would be the final thing that someone might have tweeted about? We've covered a lot over these last few parts, over the last five parts. There's one last tweet I got. Now, before you get very excited, then I'm going to go off on one for the next 10 minutes or so. This is not exactly the most exciting thing to end a podcast series on, but it's certainly something, again, like I was saying, a small thing that COVID-19 has just raised as a question mark. It's probably been a question mark in many of our heads for quite some time, and it's something that we were doing for quite some time um, without really thinking about the implications of it. And it's something that, you know, even government policy um, would suggest as something that schools would do, particularly in DESH schools. And it's the idea of rewarding attendance. Now, this has been, you know, something that's been a low, low level bugbear in a way that it's it, at primary level. You know, rewarding children for coming to school is a strange thing because while you're giving a reward to the child, the child has done almost nothing to receive that award because the only reason they come to school is when their parents send them to school and there's only a few reasons why a child wouldn't come to school and the reason and I mean the most common reason is because they're sick um, and then do you want your child going to school if they're sick and does everybody else want their ch someone else's child coming to school if they're sick because then they're going to spread that sickness as COVID-19 has sort of shown us and then do you punish them children because they've gotten sick by not giving them an attendance award so you're basically in a way rewarding people for not getting sick or something like that I mean there are other reasons of course um, some people go on holidays to get cheaper flights during the school year. So again, that's not the child's fault. Again, the child has no say on whether they go to school during that time. So is it fair to, you know, not reward them uh, for, for some reason? I mean, it seems like a, a very strange thing uh, to do. And then you have, um, I mean, I suppose the reason for these um, attendance awards is you're trying to somehow encourage the child 
to encourage so a child from a family where school and education may not be perceived as important you're trying to encourage children to encourage their parents to send them to school by saying we'll get a certificate at the end of the year or an award at the end of the year knowing that it's probably a hundred percent unachievable almost a hundred percent unachievable now we've done attendance rewards in our school and we tend to give a reward for you know something between 98 and 100 percent attendance and i'm looking at it and kind of going and i've been thinking about it for a while and kind of going do you know it really isn't a good idea i mean the only children who have had 100 percent attendance come from fairly privileged backgrounds and they've been lucky that they haven't been sick during school time there hasn't you know attendance you know attendance is is, is it's a very tricky one and it, and it kind of when you look at it what does it really what does it really do giving these awards out to children it doesn't reward the children the parents probably you know what what does it do for the parents even to get this attendance reward it just seems to be a very strange thing and i think we look i think what covid19 has done is it needs it it's given me and it's, and what it should do is it should give um tusla and the various people in charge of attendance um some thoughts for you know what what about attendance like how do we how do we encourage attendance that's i mean it's very lazy doing these attendance awards what i'm trying to say how do we actually make proper impactful decisions to encourage um, good attendance in school? And I think attendance awards are lazy um, and they aren't effective. And I think what COVID-19 did was show us the importance of not coming to school when you're sick. And we need to ensure that that happens and continues and not to have this mad system in place where oh I'll send him in anyway because I don't want him to miss school because he he always is you know he doesn't want to lose the attendance award at the end of the year now it says the only very very few people but those very very few people that say that you know come from a particular background they come from a particular I don't know what they come from really I'm, I'm casting a wide net there with the statement like that but it's uh, something really um, we need to consider like how do you encourage good attendance um and who are we targeting and isn't there sometimes there are good reasons not to come to school and not just sickness but sometimes it's okay for someone to take a day off their their workplace you know and you know that's maybe is there something we should look at that about i mean teachers as teachers we get our epv days um for you know when we need them sometimes children need an epv day for themselves just uh to 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 get away from school maybe they're just having a they just need a break and so on so it's 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 something that i think is kind of actually a much more interesting and wider discussion and i think the idea of attendance awards most people have kind of have agreed that the idea of giving attendance awards really is quite quite a silly thing to do really and it is something that we should scrap after covid19 so i mean i suppose that's um probably I think I think I think a lot of schools are probably going to go down that road and maybe consider different ways of looking at attendance. Um, and as I said, COVID nineteen has given us a lot of thought around small things like like attendance awards, like um, the virtual staff meetings, you know those those sort of things, things that aren't really a big deal, but you know might be might be things that we might certainly take a second look at. 
So we finally made it. We got to the end of our things that we will keep after COVID-19. It took five parts. So five half an hours. What's that? Two and a half hours of a review of the hardest, strangest, most difficult year I think most of us have had in our career where we have been um, put into a lottery situation that every day we went into work where we might catch this uh, disease, COVID-19. We've been uh, abandoned by uh, the people who were supposed to represent us. Um, we've had a government who took us completely for granted, uh, alienated us, uh, went against us um, all the way through this year. And yet we've gotten through it uh, just about. Um, and I've never uh, met a... Um, I think we've, we've, we've really been highly resilient over this year to get through it. Many of us didn't, and there's quite a few of us that have became sick, uh, not just with COVID-19, but with uh, mental health um, uh, issues, physical health issues, uh, breakdowns, uh, sicknesses. Based on the stress of this year, it has really been a most unusual year. As I've said to people, um, if this is your first year in teaching, this was not um, one to base your entire career on and hopefully next year will be a little bit more normal in terms of uh, what you can expect to cope with. Um, it's been, um, I mean, even the, uh, if you're doing the July provision at the moment or the summer provision at the moment, you know, you're seeing, you're probably seeing in the news at the moment as I'm recording this, that uh, even, even with that, uh, people can't be grateful. Uh, they have to be basically say, giving out that lots of schools aren't running uh, summer provision. And the thing is, if people would just think about it, who can blame them? This has been a really, really difficult year um, and people actually do need a bit of a, need a break. Um, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone working in a school where you have been told, where you've been told that you're, you're you're, you're terrible people the whole way through. Teacher bashing really took on a, a massive, um, you know, massive increase. Uh, you've been basically uh, told that you um, have no protections other than a window open. Um, you have your room is full of people who could or could may not may or may not be transmitting this disease to you. Um, you're on call 24 hours a day in case um, you know that if there is a case in your school and you're a teacher you may not even know about it if it's in your classroom because of GDPR it's been a really really stressful year for everybody so I would like I suppose the one thing I suppose I would like to get rid of and um, when it comes to COVID-19 the one thing I would keep I think there's a lot of things that, uh, there's there's very few things I keep from these COVID-19s I suppose what I'd like to make, ensure is that we keep having a think about how we do the education system. I mean, this, the, the COVID-19 shone a huge light on um, the education system in terms of, especially in terms of special education needs, but a lot of other issues, um, m many of which we haven't covered in this. Uh, for example, I, I would think patronage is, a, is, is something that COVID-19 shone a light on. Uh, for example, if you were opted out of religion in your school, there was nowhere for you to go and, and, and effectively... I don't know how, I suppose nobody wants to be up in arms about things like that because I suppose of the reaction. But 
we need to start questioning the things that make our education system, the, the strange system that it is. And I think we need to keep talking about the education system. There was a bit of interest from the media in the education system. Again, that's something I'd like to keep after COVID-19, that we talk about education, we talk about it more. We um, educate ourselves about what goes on in our, in our children's schools, how, how they work, why they work and we need to listen to the people working in them um, about the things that are that go well and the things that are not so well and to and to move away from the fact that I think we've uh, been degenerated into a sort of a a very expensive babysitting service or a cheap babysitting service depending on who you are whether you're the consumer or the provider and um, primary education is extremely important and we're we, we we've we were seeing um, lots of the problems um, and th- thanks to COVID-19 which brought them into the wider um, I suppose public um, public mood um, so look I think you know if I was to keep anything after COVID it would be keeping education as an important part of our system um, you know it's not one of those you know kind of portfolios that no politician wants to get it should be an important portfolio for a politician to get and uh, and the public should uh, be seeing it as an important service um, as important as health as important as justice as important as any of the other portfolio not a minor portfolio it's hugely important what we do with children and we saw that uh, when school buildings had to close down the very various things that had to close down with um, and what we relied on schools to do completely outside their remit. So it's something I think we should keep after COVID and I, I would hope that we do. Um, and I just finally like to thank you very much for putting up with my two and a half hours of unscripted um, unscripted monologue on um, what we should keep after COVID. I want to thank all the teachers, all the parents, all the staff, all the various uh, people who sent uh, in their suggestions of what they'd like to keep after COVID and what they'd like to get rid of. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this series. Um, we'll be back with our normal uh, stuff um, over the next over the summer. Um, uh, the back to if I were the minister for education, and uh, look forward to talking to you then. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.